Hello and welcome to the Freight Find Podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'm joined by Zach Rogers, Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management at Colorado State University. Now, in addition to his academic duties at CSU, Zach also co-developed and currently leads the publishing of the Logistics Manager Index, or LMI. This is fashioned in the same way as the Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI, that we all have heard about and that has been around for over 50 years. The LMI is a diffusion metric that captures whether an activity is either expanding or contracting, and we'll explain more of that in the conversation. The LMI captures the monthly change in inventory levels and costs, as well as the capacity, utilization, and pricing changes for both warehousing and transportation. And in our conversation, we talk about the recently published October 23 numbers that indicate an expansion of the logistics market, something we have not seen for at least 18 months to two years. We also discuss the impact of the yellow and convoy bankruptcies and the recently resolved UAW strikes on the economy and the industry. Following my conversation with Zach, I'll discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the Freight Find Podcast. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's good seeing you at uh, CSCMP. I, I feel like this fall I had like five conferences in six weeks. I feel like I was just <laughs> constantly on the chicken dinner circuit around a different different place. Orlando twice, you know? Well, yeah, Orlando, Atlanta, you know, all of the places that are going to be warm in October. You know, it's the, it's the gap between summer vacations and, and holiday travel. That's right. It's good warehousing utilization, actually, of of, uh, <laughs> of, of hotel inventory. Sense. So it's it, that's just good supply chain. Yep, yep. It, so it's uh, last time I had you on was for Father's Day, actually June twenty two, with your dad. And before that, about eighteen months before that, I had you on right in the thick of the pandemic, I think. And uh, we're talking about different things. So what I wanted to do today is talk more about the Logistics Managers Index, especially since the October numbers finishing up Q3 2023 are just coming out or just came out by the time this broadcast is, this episode is shown. So can you give us a little bit of background on what the LMI Logistics Managers Index is, and then we'll get into some of the current results? Absolutely. And yeah, you're, you're right. They're, they're brand new numbers. I just finished them about 10 minutes before we, we started this morning. The, so the it's, ink is still wet. That's it's awesome. always good to have uh, have external deadlines, no matter how far you are past graduation. Um, I agree. So, uh, yeah, the, the logistics index started in September of, of 2016. So we just last month went past seven years of the index. And it has been an interesting seven years to be tracking uh, the, the logistics industry, actually. A lot has happened. And so the idea of this is uh, very similar to what they do with the PMI. And actually, uh, folks down at the PMI helped us to, to understand the methodology. Uh, they're, they're good friends of ours. And the idea is we really have a service economy. You know, when, when the PMI was started in the 60s, it made sense to look at manufacturing and, and production inventories as a way to predict movements in the U.S. economy. And, and it certainly still does. But in the 2010s and when we started it, now 2020s, it really makes sense to track the service side of the U.S. economy as well because it's so important. And so our idea is, well, if something is on a truck, we're in a warehouse in November, probably that means it's going to be sold in December. So we can probably predict future movements. And, and you know, we have some analyses showing that the LMI has been a pretty good predictor of future movements in the stock market, in unemployment, uh, and in retail sales. And so we're sort of on, uh, I, I see us as complementary to some of the other indices out there. So so let me ask a question quick, Jack. Uh, the PMI, that's the Pur Purchasing Managers Index, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Trying, okay. Just make sure everyone everyone knew that. Also uh, uh, run by, for a long time, by Furon, another Arizona State uh, professor. And so really it's just, it's just uh, what what we have here is a lot of sun devils just uh, bringing light to the darkness. Oh, uh, there you go. It's how I like to think of the LMI and the PMI. So um, the way the, the indices work is we go out and we ask um, uh, several uh, director level and above. And usually we're, you know, a couple hundred every month. 
director level and above folks who kind of have a 20,000 foot view of, of the supply chain, what their opinions are on eight metrics. And we asked them essentially, are those metrics increasing from last month, decreasing, or staying the same? And the eight metrics we asked them about are inventory levels and costs, warehousing, utilization, capacity, and price, and transportation, utilization, capacity, and price. And so any number um, for any of those submetrics over 50 means expansion. And the further over 50 it is, the greater the rate of expansion. 50 is kind of break even. And then anything under under 50 means contraction. Further under 50 we go, uh, the faster the rate of contraction. And then we, um, we aggregate all of those together into our overall uh, logistics index. And so I just want to make sure each of these, then this is done monthly? Yes, sir. And so it's a point in time compared to the last month or the state of what their opinion is that month? It's a point in time compared to, to the last month's point in time. And so essentially okay. we're showing movements, the 12 movements a year uh, for all eight of these metrics. Okay. It has, has the methodology, I'm just curious, changed over the last eight years? Or has it pretty much been consistent? You know what? What we did change um, maybe a year or two years in is we inverted the way we count capacity in the overall metric. And so we used to just take the average of everything, uh, of our eight, our eight submetrics and come up with our overall index. And we realized, you know, when capacity goes up, that's actually the logistics industry slowing down. And probably we should have figured that out more than a year and a half in, but it took us about a year and a half to figure it out. And so we now we invert it. And so like this month for um, for October, for instance, uh, warehousing capacity is at 57. So that's kind of a, a mild level of growth for warehousing capacity. We'll flip that when we do the average for the overall index. So the average we put in will be a 43 because that's the inverse of 57. So, so for uh, warehousing capacity, it's a 57. That means that capacity is getting tighter? Uh, it's going up. Now, it is increasing at a decreasing rate. Um, right. Because right. in September, it was 57.3. In August, it was uh, in the 60s. And so our, our rate of, of expansion for warehousing capacity is slower than it was. But it's still capacity. It's just the slope isn't quite as steep. So, so just I just want to make sure I fully understand. A fifty-seven for warehousing capacity means there is increasing capacity available. Yes. Okay. So, so the higher that number is, that could actually mean that there there's more empty warehouses, more space to store stuff. Things it like does that. more okay, more things it, coming it. online. Um, and so, because more space means slower overall logistics industry. We then flip that to a 43, it. so it shows some slowdown in Got the it. overall. Well, let's let's talk about the actual October numbers that uh, that you just finished doing. Let's uh, start with the overall, and then let's put that into context. Okay, so our overall number for this month was 56.5, and 56.5 is a um, you know growth. Certainly. And it's actually the highest rate of growth that we have had in 2023 since January. And so I'm um, sure some of your listeners will remember January was we sort of saw a spike right. across many logistics metrics in January. And there was some thought at the time, oh, maybe after the sort of doldrums of the end of 2023 or 22, we're coming back and 2023 is going to be uh, a good year again. And that actually was not how, what it ended up. It was sort of fool's gold because January was an echo from December of a lot of things that were delivered late. Also, we had a lot of returns in January. Yeah. You know, yeah. we had about eight hundred billion dollars of returns last year. Well, I bet you, I bet you had to check your numbers like three times in January we just did to make because, sure because January was up from November and December, right? And that should not happen. November and December should be. Uh, higher seasonally speaking than January every year. But this January, we had kind of a bump. And really what that was was just slowness getting out of the system. So since January, we we had kind of a steady downward trend all the way through July. And in July, our overall index was 45.4. 
which we've only had three months of contraction in the seven years uh, of the index, and it was May, June, July. So for for you know freight brokers or anybody out there who thought, man, this summer felt slow. You're right, it was it was slow. W- was there some seasonality there? Is May, June, July typically pretty low, or is that was that a total anomaly? No, no, it's it's not to that extent. I mean, we okay. always have July is slower because we sort of have the Fourth of July. Things kind of you know, we we always sort of have a peak right at the end of June for for transportation. That's sort of getting ahead of the 4th of July. A lot of people are on vacation. No one's doing back to school shopping yet. But usually by the end of July, we do start to see some pickups. And certainly by August, we always see things pick up with back to school. And then we're really getting into, um, you know, at the end of August and beginning of September, we're starting to build up inventories for our holiday stuff. So, you know, we, we do sometimes see a little bit of slowness just in July. May and June, though, Shouldn't normally be that slow. And and like I said, it's the first and only, as of yet, three times that we have seen contraction in our overall metric. That turned in August, I think, a lot because of um, uh, the normal kind of holiday shopping or, or you know, uh, build up stuff and, and uh, back to school that we talked about and has gone up ever since then. Here's the funny thing, though, about, okay. about July. So this July, you know, we, we always split our numbers into early and late. So first 15, 16 days of the month, first second half of the month. So in July, if you looked at everything up until the 17th, and, and the 17th, I picked for July for, for two reasons. One, my mother's birthday, great day to okay. celebrate. Number two, that's, that's kind of when everything came out about yellow. And so as YRC really starts to close, suddenly we saw transportation capacity tightened for the first time in about a year and a half we saw some movement on the freight side and so suddenly you know we've been saying for a year and a half this isn't going to balance we're not going to get out of the freight recession that we've been in since probably may of last year until some capacity comes out of the market now in the past that's usually been a lot of small carriers yeah the full truck that's not what that's not what we saw this time this time, you know, some of the small carriers held on for a long time. They kind of were full of cash. And also there's sort of, I, I heard you and Jason Miller talking about it a couple months ago. There's a sort of small carrier, small manufacturer ecosystem that sort of exists somewhere else. And, and really what we saw is, you know, suddenly yellow is gone. And that is where we really started to see. And, and since that happened in, in the middle of July, we've seen the transportation market start to wake up. Let me, let me ask a couple of questions about that. Yes, sir. Let me let me ask some questions. You talk about early and late. What are you talking about? Is that when people return their surveys? Yes. So so we we gather data throughout the month. Okay. And so uh, the the sort of surveys we got between July first and July sixteenth got it were showing a lot more contraction across the board, but especially for transportation relative to what we got from the seventeenth to the thirty first. And is it pretty evenly distributed there, or is that just? just happens changes yeah, every no month. no but it's it's usually it's you know and and, and I'll, I'll try to pick a day you know if we move between the 15th 16th 17th something like that yeah to try to get it as close to 50 50 as possible but but we tend to because we send the the um surveys out uh you know maybe two or three times we tend to get big batches of responses coming sure. at the same time so we'll get a big batch beginning of the month big one in the the middle and then a big one at the end and the one at the end is always the biggest one. Like we were saying at the beginning, nothing like an external deadline to make you get your homework done. And so we always get more, most of our responses, probably 50% of our responses in the last week of the month. And so then that makes the the, the early late comparison easy. And yeah. one of the reasons we like it that way is that the most recent data is maybe somewhat overrepresented in our numbers. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Is are these anonymous or can you track someone's opinion as it goes through the each month to month? So we do ask like, hey, your your email and, and the companies and we have a, a really nice base of regular respondents. And so we are able to now, of course, we would never say who any of these people are. It's 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 anonymous to everybody other than us. Um, we would be able to say like, OK, people in these industries, for example. Like, let's look at lawn and garden or warehousing or something like that that we track. How are the movements in these specific industries over time? And we can break it apart at, at that level. We don't usually report that because 
you know, we might have like for lawn and garden, for instance, we have like five people who respond from that industry right. and they respond every month, but it's not a statistically significant thing. So sure. we'll look at things like upstream, downstream, big, little things like that. Yeah. And it'd be fascinating to see how different people behave because we have the same thing at DAT when we collect data, like when a new company comes in, you can't compare. It's like same store sales. You have to be consistent exactly. across. And I'm curious, do you have a lot of churn of new people coming in and old people leaving or is it pretty consistent? We do have some churn, but I'd, I'd say probably at this point, seven years in, I bet 75% of our respondents uh, are there every time. Okay. And then those other 25%, you know, we'll get somebody who does it in January, February, March. Then we don't hear from him in the summer. And then in the fall, they come back. Okay. And so, but at the same time, we get we get people asking to be added to the survey every month. I just yesterday I sent somebody I added somebody to the distribution list. So, oh great. Um, and we're always happy to add you know people who who feel like they could contribute to this because for us, the more folks we have on this, the better our numbers are going to be. So I got to ask: Do you ever look at some people that are like always wrong? Do you see <laughs> someone who contributes? And it's like, man, this guy this this person's way off every time. No, you know, I, I don't, we don't have a lot of people like that. Plus, you know, for us, we have people who are it's such different size companies. You know, we have companies oh, under a million dollars who respond every time. And we have some over 10 billion who respond every time. And so they're just living in different worlds. And, and the other thing that we do is we do have some respondents who maybe will only give us warehousing metrics and then leave yeah. everything else blank. And so for us, that's still incredibly valuable because- Hey, they're living in the warehouse space. And we tell them, look, if you don't have an idea on transportation, you know, don't, don't, don't feel like make you have it to up. guess. It's yeah. okay. You're not, we're not grading on completeness, just correctness. <laughs> so just you put in what you think you know and we'll leave everything else out. So let, let's dive in a little bit about July and the yellow bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. First, were you surprised yellow went bankrupt? Not particularly. Yeah. Um, you know, I know they they had been having uh cash flow issues and 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 when they said Hey, Teamsters, here's our proposal. We're not going to pay health benefits. I thought, well, that's that is a desperation. <laughs> that that's a hail mary if I've ever seen one. Yeah. And so I I thought, wow, they might be they might be in trouble. I mean, it is funny because a 99 year old company, you think they're going to be around forever, and you know, a lot of folks underestimated the importance of the bullwhip during COVID. Mm. Seen this in retail. We've seen it in. And freight, we've certainly seen it in warehousing where you think, well, things are going up now. It's going to be like this forever. Let's make some big CapEx investments. Uh, and and yeah, we're going to live forever. It's going to be great. And then things come back down. And suddenly you're sitting there having all this capacity. You know, so many transportation companies were actually saved from themselves during the pandemic right? because of the semiconductor shortage. They couldn't we buy. Had, they had these yeah. huge <laughs> records. Uh, uh, orders for class eight trucks. And then a lot of them couldn't get filled because we didn't have all the pieces to finish putting the trucks together. That, that's a really good point. Thanks. One of the reasons we've seen this sort of freight recession last for so long is because we didn't see the normal overreaction that we do in good times where everybody way overbuilds their fleets. I mean, we still had overproduction, but it wasn't the level. I mean, if you think about where we were in 21 and 20, when we just had this out of the box freight prices, everything it was absolute gold rush and people couldn't take advantage of it because of snares in the supply chain and so i think that's why this sort of uh we've had this long tail on this recession because we didn't see as many people dropping out uh due to their own hubris (laughs) as we might see in in sort of a normal boom time but even with yellow what was fascinating about that is is i know i have some family um some relatives who were shocked about this because it made all the news but everyone who's been following it, we were waiting for it to happen anyway. But yeah. um, that that it came at a time. If it had happened a year earlier, eighteen months earlier, it would have been disastrous. But there was already softness in the market. There already was capacity out there yes. now in the LTL market, certainly, and they mm-hmm. seem to absorb it. But one of the points we just had our DATCON conference for all of our internal our, our customers about a month ago. And someone made the point, um, he actually stood up and he's a uh, transportation for a large company and thanked everyone in the room because he said, what happens with yellow going under, it gave the license to every LTL carrier to ask for a rate increase, right? And they go out and, but people held the line. So we we saw some rate increase, but not too much. But anyone who had 
yellow and was using yellow, they're paying higher rates now because yellow was a low cost carrier. Right. But overall, the ripple effect was less than I thought it was going to be. Did it match to what the level that you thought it was going to be? So, I, you know, we had so much slack going in to yellow that, that, you know, even if you pull the line a little tighter, there's still some slack left. And, and to your point, you know, we had about 24 months straight of contraction in transportation capacity. We were in the 20s, 30s, 40s from basically the very beginning of the pandemic all the way to March of 22. So about two full years of contraction. Right. That changes, obviously, right with the invasion, invasion of Ukraine, inflation going crazy. And then we had a, a steady sort of stream of growth for capacity. And actually, what's interesting is the highest capacity reading we ever had in the history of the index for transportation was a year ago. So October 22, we got 73. And we had um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, sorry, 10 out of 12 readings in a row in the 70s. And anything over 70, we say, okay, now that's significant growth. And our last reading in 70 was June right before yellow goes down. So then yellow goes down and we see a big difference first half of June, second half of, uh, sorry, first half of July, second half of July. Right, and actually the right. first half of July, if we would have cut it at July 15th, that would have been our biggest reading ever for capacity. But yellow drops out and so it comes down to the mid 60s. And now today, sitting here in October, we're at a 56.7. And so that's almost exactly what you're saying. There's still some increase in capacity but this 56 is a very moderate level of growth. And you actually, it's about where you want to be in the market is some moderate growth, somewhere right around 50. You know, between 45 and 55 is sort of a natural steady state for a lot of these metrics. Let me ask, we talk, you talk about transportation as a whole, and we all know it's a very segmented market. What do you ask for your res survey respondents? Do they, is it all domestic? Is it all surface? Is it all modes? We just ask them about, we just say transportation, transportation. And, and allow them to make their own decisions on that, what that okay. means to them. And we have, now we do track, you know, what markets do you operate in? And largely we have international, uh, it, you know, companies that, that operate internationally, but are domestically based would okay. be sort of the, the combination we have. And and I do get the sense that mostly what we're looking at here is is surface uh, stuff. Now we have plenty of intermodal companies in there, so sure. surface sure. meaning many different things. But we we mostly hear from folks I think who are using sort of North American uh, surface transportation is the way they're thinking about this. And you, you mentioned like the market since uh, March 22 was pretty much Ukraine invasion and things flipped. Yep. What we look at at DAT is the uh, spot rate premium, you know, an inverted market because that's yep. when spot rates went below contract, which is always weird. And I'm curious how correlated we would be for the, because uh, we measure the gap that we look at the national average drive A and truckload and see what that gap is. And it's shockingly not closing. It's closing a little. It's not as big as it was um, back about a year ago, but it's really still, the gap is still there. And I'm curious what that correlation would be with your with your index for capacity. My guess is it's pretty correlated. I would imagine so as well. You know, the other thing for us is is transportation price. I think, you know, obviously yeah. it's going to match up with this. And we saw the same move, you know, March of of 22, we're at 89.7. We've been riding a, a wave of high 80s and 90s. And then in, in April of that year, we dropped to 73.9. And it kept going down and we crossed into contraction in July of 22. Yep. And we've been in contraction uh, since then. So so even now in October of 23, we're at a 44.4. Now that 44.4 is the highest number we've had since September of 2022. That makes so sense. We kind of had a, a steady downward stream again. May, June, May, we had our, our lowest ever reading was 27.9. Just oh my gosh. crazy levels of contraction. It was, we saw that June, not, that May number and we were like, somebody's going to go out of business. I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody's <laughs> going out of business with 27.9. And then we see it start to come up again in June and then really July, second half of July. And since the second half of July, we've been in the 40s. 
And like I was saying a minute ago, 44 is not a terrible number. Now, it's not great if you're a, a freight forwarder, but 44 is sort of, okay, we're, we're getting to some level of equilibrium. We want to be right around, you know, 45, 55, maybe 60, but, but uh, you know, between 45 and 55, I kind of think is normal cycle of business. But is it, Zach? So that's, that's the interesting thing. Is there a normal or is it always either, we're either, you know, tight or soft? It seems like, and and what what is good? I think it depends. You would like to sit back and say, okay, you know, fifty five. That that's great for everybody. You know, some some sort of moderate, slow and steady growth. You want it to be like a river. That'd be great. The problem is that the logistics industry tends to be the hare, not the tortoise. You know, we we run really fast and then stop. You know, it's not the slow, steady pace. So so you're absolutely right. And if you were to look at our transportation price sort of graphs over time, uh, you would see, all right, there's huge spikes in uh, late 17, early 18 for about a year. And then we start to get into the middle, the middle of 2018, especially beginning of 2019. Yep. The freight recession goes through the beginning of 20s a little bit weird. And then honestly, COVID's what kicks us out of the recession. Right, right. And then we have just, Sky high rates from you know June of twenty to to March of twenty two, yep. And then we drop back down again March twenty two, and and that's kind of where we've been since then. And in another freight recession, and interestingly, this freight recession has gone on longer than the last one. Um, and it's it's because it's you know every action will have an equal and opposite reaction, and and you know right now we're in the the Isaac Newton tale of uh, sort of the freight boom that we had a couple years ago. Well, what's interesting, Zach, so we were just looking at this for the dry van, national dry van cost per mile long haul. It, it's now down to the point where it's almost following the natural growth. Yes. Um, CAGR right now is about 6%. If you if you take it from the from Q1 2020, right, the recession, because prior to that, it was around a 3%, 3, 3.5% with, you know, the cycles going up and down above it, but general trend. And we're, and we're almost right back down to where we would be if we didn't have a pandemic and then and the normal rate would go yeah. a little higher than what was previous. But we expect that with inflation, with everything is more expensive, especially labor is more expensive. So it kind of makes sense. You're absolutely right. We're returning to equilibrium kind of across the board. And you see this like uh, the rate of e-commerce sales uh, as a percentage of regular retail going back to normal. Yep. Um, the, the number of, of TEUs coming in the port of LA and Long Beach. We're going back to where we should have been. If you drew a trend line for the 10 years before the pandemic, we're going back to where we should have been. And it feels like we're slowing down because we were go we were so high so above high. the trend yeah. line. But really what we're doing is is just returning to, to equilibrium. It's like, you know, I'm from Nevada and you drive through Nevada, you get a little a lot of little small towns. Between those small towns, you go 90 miles an hour. And then you get to the small towns, you got to go down to 35. And it feels like you have stopped moving. You haven't stopped moving. You just slowed down to what you should be doing anyway. And that's what's happening uh, right now in the logistics industry. And and I know we're going to talk about future predictions in a minute. And our future predictions are very much pointing towards equilibrium. Yeah. Let me let me go back to something you just mentioned about the ports, uh, TEUs coming into LA, Long Beach and all that. Do you think that we've had a shift though? Because during the pandemic, there was a greater shift, especially to Houston. The Gulf ports really yep. increased. Savannah, and I don't think it's shrunk as much. Do you think that was a just a pandemic shift, or do you think that's going to that no, shift will no, continue? I, I think it's going to continue. You know, and, and you saw things, same thing: Charleston, New York, New Jersey. Um, it, it, because I think what we realized in the pandemic is we had way too much path dependence. It was like there was one. You know, we were, everything was leaving China, going through the Southern California parts, sitting in the Inland Empire in a warehouse, getting on a train sitting in another long line in Chicago and then kind of being distributed to these coasts. And I think people realize we have too much dependence on one path. I mean, it was almost like we were an investor that only invested in energy stocks and nothing else. We didn't have a portfolio. And I, and I think companies have realized, hey, the portfolio approach really matters. There's got to be some balance of the economies of scale you get from path dependence and the portfolio. And so you know, we see more traffic right now going through the Panama Canal than we've seen in a long time. We're getting it. I mean, there was a 
uh, quite a traffic jam there uh, last month because we're not getting enough rain down there. Yeah, so uh, they're limiting getting, again. Yeah, the, the lake is pretty low. Yeah. We're getting intermodal coming maybe through, you know, let's go to the west coast of Mexico and get some intermodal going up to the southeast or something but, like that. But Zach, 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 why are people just learning this now? Didn't they learn this during the last strikes on the west coast? I remember 2002. It seems like we have to relearn this every couple of years. Because the whole idea of diversifying your ports of entry, that's something that people should know. Or maybe this is um, job security for academics like us because people have to constantly relearn it. Like It's like the bullwhip effect. They have to relearn it. It's been around for 50 years now, but we still people are still surprised. Are you surprised that they're just learning it? I, I think it's just you know maybe you diversify for an emergency, but yeah. then it's so easy to go back uh, when the prices are low again. And, right. and I think one of the differences we had during COVID was it was a long emergency. So what you're talking about, the strikes, a lot of times, you know, the strikes, the forks are maybe a, a little, you know, a month, six weeks, something like that. And so you think, okay, I'll suck it up for six weeks and then we'll go back to normal. Well, we had a year and a half of a crisis. And so yeah. people really had to start, okay, let's, let's actually figure this out. And I think what people realized is, hey, you know what's, you know what's closer to the East Coast? Houston. Yep. So maybe we'll go over there and and it's way cheaper to have everything on the boats, you know. And uh and and I think also as we realign some of manufacturing, like as we have more manufacturing being nearshored or not everything's coming out of China, even if it's coming from Asia, we have more the higher percentage from Bangladesh or Vietnam. We're not getting the same economies of scale that we were where it was everything gets on a boat in Shenzhen. And goes straight to Long Beach. Right. So the economies of that aren't the same as what they were. And now we've seen the benefits of the portfolio approach. It's a it's a resilience argument. It's like, mm -hmm. why do I have to carry an umbrella if the sun's shining? Right. It's, exactly. it's a harder, it's a harder argument. But I think people got so burnt during the pandemic that might maybe it's a little easier to see. That that makes sense. Let let's get back to the October numbers. Any other big surprises that came out that you've seen? I think the big point you were making before I kind of sidetracked us all is the last three months, most of Q3 and a little of Q2, yep. has shown dramatic increase, and it seems like it's shadowing the GDP growth. Or not, maybe not shadowing, maybe leading the GDP growth, which in Q3 was 4.9%. Our numbers for the last three months have been uh, have, have shown growth in the overall, uh, overall index. And I was telling people, you know, people thought we're so sure. Remember last year around this time, oh, where it's 100%, there's going to be a recession. And I thought, I don't, I don't know, I... There's a freight recession for sure, but it but we still had a lot of growth and movement downstream. We always break our our numbers apart downstream versus upstream. And downstream, which tracks consumer activity, uh, ha has been busy. Even if it's not as busy as it was, and there's been some slowdowns certainly in places, we still saw a lot of a lot of movement. And we saw our overall index go positive in August and September. And so I was sort of telling people, you know, I, I think we're going to actually see a pretty good number for Q3 because we've the, the only reason we have movement I mean, we moved from contraction all through right. the summer to, to expansion. And I was telling people, look, the only reason that number goes up is because we think that we're going to need more things on the shelves or in warehouses or wherever yeah. going into September. You know, I was I was, was saying to people, look, I am positive that the kids are still going to go back to school the first week of September. And and I could say I'm going to get I'll give you good odds that it's still going to be Christmas on December 25th. Like like all this stuff is still going to happen and we're still going to uh need inventory in the system and and here's one little other shred of of proof about that I think is that October is the first time we've seen inventories increasing since April. So Okay. So we saw we we're up in 53.4 and you know uh our inventories was the hardest pill to swallow for the last year for so many companies uh because when everything that that faucet shuts off in march everything slows down the problem with that is all of these companies who were chartering their own ships paying all this expensive freight to get goods over here and we had the backup so things that should have been here for holidays of of 21 get here in Q1 of, of 22, right? Well, that's like being, you, you show up to the party right as everybody leaves, essentially is what happened with the inventory. And everyone got stuck with the check. I mean, our, our inventory numbers in February 22 were 80.2. 
We've never so been- So I'm curious, Zach, Zach, to that point, upstream and downstream are probably very different. Yes. And, yes. and it's easier, is it? Is this a true statement? If you have excess inventory downstream, it's easier to get rid of it because it's probably retail. Upstream, yeah. it might not be, a, it might be whip or unfinished yeah, product. Upstream, upstream carried things for a long time. The other thing that happened yeah. upstream is a lot of, of downstream retailers, okay, let's return to vendor. Let's, yeah. let's try to push this back up the stream towards the upstream. They don't have anywhere to go. And so, you know, you had all these stories last year about, oh, Target is doing like $2 billion of, of markdowns, get all this inventory out. That's difficult if you have like components or things like that. And yeah. so we saw people sitting on right. commodities for a long time and commodities take up a lot of space. And also because they're not moving, that kills like flatbed and things like that. Yep, yep. And so we saw all of this kind of weirdness with inventories. And really 2022 was all about working through inventories. We finally see inventories start to moderate in, in 23, getting to the 60s, 50s, and then 40s throughout the summer. So throughout the summer was... It was, you know, the summer weight loss plan for inventories. People are really getting rid of it. And now in October, we finally see 53. And, and 53 is a great number for inventory level. I, like, yep. you know, we were talking about, okay, transportation swings up and down. Inventory you want steady, right? That's the whole idea of JIT is let's have, let's have exactly what we need. So a little bit of growth like that, a 53.5, perfect. That's exactly yep. where we want to be for the supply chain. Now, to your to your point about downstream upstream, um uh upstream it's right at 50.8, so pretty much steady, which is actually the first expansion we've seen for upstream in like a year. <laughs> and downstream um, downstream about 60, 59 yeah, and a half. That makes sense. That makes and sense. So the downstream is where we're seeing the build up right now. Well, that that makes sense, right? We're starting Q Q4 and so we're coming, but let me get to, back to a point you made about recession. It's true. About a year ago, it was it wasn't a an if it was when, right? Mm -hmm. And that suddenly changed in software. It reminds me of uh, Paul Samuelson's quote that that the the predictions of nine of the last five recessions. Yeah, and so yeah, so it t we tend to over predict these recessions. They don't necessarily happen, but uh, yeah, things seem to be getting a little better there. They do. Well, and, and one other thing that, that made a huge difference, uh, Chris, and this is one of the, the reasons that we were we didn't think that there was a, a recession coming is because a lot of the cause of, of all that fear was inflation. And a lot of inflation, especially through the first half of 2022 and, and uh, all of 21, was supply driven. So the San Francisco Fed Adam Shapiro, an economist over there, does, does this incredible breakout every month um, of supply versus demand-driven inflation. And a lot of what we were seeing was supply-driven inflation. And, and like we were talking beforehand, before we got on, our aggregate logistics numbers. So, so when we put all of our price metrics together, so three you know, metrics from zero to 100 for you know, uh, inventories, warehousing price, we'll put them together to make a zero to 300 um, uh, aggregate graph. We had really high aggregate costs in 2022, especially early 22 when things were going crazy. You know, like right. March, May, we were like in the you know 250s, 240s, and we saw starting at the end of last year that really start to moderate. We saw last May, I think, was the lowest number we've ever had. We had a or sorry, June, we had 153, which is almost no growth for any costs, um, and and we've never seen negative for warehouses. And so that was kind of the thing, keeping it above water. But inventories and transportation were down. Right. And so what we were, and if you look at those those San Francisco charts, they actually had deflation coming on the supplies. And so one of the things that has really killed off inflation, I would say more than the Fed, because the Fed has a hammer and they're just banging it at consumers. One of the things that's really brought it down is as all this capacity came back online, supply inflation essentially disappeared. And that's really where we've seen, um, you know, when we started to see that at the end of last year, we said, I don't think that inflation is going to continue. And if inflation doesn't continue, we're probably not going into a recession. Makes sense. Well, let's let's flip and talk about 2024. What do you yeah. see happening? Let's start in the transportation market. We've sure. been inverted like we've been talking about since March of 22. Do you see it flipping around? When do you see it turning to positive growth? Because right now, prices, prices are still at 44.4. So we're mm -hmm. still contraction yep. 
What do you see happening in 24? Well, our respondents do see a flip. Our respondents are predicting that. So we ask um, every month those same eight eight submetrics, where do you see them going in a year from now? Uh, so in the next 12 months, what's happening with this? And our respondents came back this month with a 65 for transportation prices. By, by and, the uh, end of next year, 12 months uh, out. W- w- within the next 12 months. So okay. from now to October, what's going to happen? October 24, what's going to happen? And so 65 uh, and a 65.2 for utilization, 65.0 for, for price with a 47 for uh, transportation capacity, which is the first time that we've had a future prediction of, of um, traction. contraction for huh. transportation capacity since uh, March of 22. Wow. So we've been in this sort of long-tailed freight uh, recession and what everyone is saying uh, in terms of our respondents is we're going to see a, a, a an inversion. And, and every time we have a freight inversion, you know, over the seven years we've done this, here are the freight inversions we've seen. The big tax cut at the beginning of 18, the start of the trade war, and kind of the, the sort of trickle of that in early 2019. We saw two quick inversions uh, right when COVID started. We saw it popped up really fast. That was the you know, kind of late March, everyone needs toilet paper and soup. Panic. Right, right. Goes down in April, comes back up in June. And then the last one we had was in in, uh, in May of 22, which right. is kind of when the, the, the lines actually crossed. And so we've been in that later inversion with capacity higher than price since May of 2022. And anytime there's a flip, that, that tells the, that's how we would say, okay, freight recession is on. And what our uh, respondents are predicting is that sometime in the next 12 months, those lines will invert again and we'll go back towards more of a boom or at least growth period in the freight market. I think most people would agree with that. Can you be any more finer grained than 12 months? Do you think it's good? Can you go down to quarters? Can I hold you to quarters? Q1, two, three? What do you think? So here's here's what's interesting. Um, we see our greatest change right now between upstream and downstream and our transportation metrics. Um, upstream, our transportation utilization is 56. Downstream, it's 72. That's a, a wow. very significant statistical distance. You, you run a P-test on that, or a T-test on that, you get a P-value of 0.03, okay? So, so it's, it's pretty pretty significant. Um, and that's like maybe the last thing I did, right, before I started talking to you, I was quickly doing T-test. Um, <laughs> glamorous life of the, the academic. And then transportation price, it's interesting. Upstream still has a little more flex capacity. Transportation price for upstream is 40.6. Downstream is 53.7. Yeah. We saw price growth downstream this month. We haven't seen price growth on either side, upstream or downstream, since middle of 2020. I wonder if that's slanted towards LTL. Because I think we have seen... Some of that. In I think that's, we that's look absolutely at, possible. Yeah. If you we think about, at, you know, the the types of services that your downstream folks are, are going to be yeah. using. And there's also probably some spot mixed into that too, I would guess. Yeah. We're still finding, we look at the, what's those, the new rate differential, mm-hmm. rates coming in and what they're replacing specifically. Yeah. And it, it, if during the heat of it, um, of the soft market, it was like double digits. You know, you run a bid, you save yeah. 15, 20%. Now it's mm-hmm. low singles. So it's right. it's a little smaller now because you can only squeeze so much blood, you know, out of the stone, and so. But we're we're getting down there. Okay, we don't have much time left, but I wanted to ask some just quick questions. Your thoughts on current events? We talked about yellow and the bankruptcy and how that had quickly. What do you think the convoy bankruptcy had? The broker side of things, where there have been a number of brokers going bankrupt this year. Convoy was probably the biggest biggest name. Then next to surge, probably. Yeah. What do you think? What's the impact? You know, I, I think with that, the, the, that middle is the easiest part to replace in, in yeah. some ways. Not to sound cold, but, but sort of the people who do the connection. I mean, because what matters is, um, you know, we have a shipper and a carrier. That, that's the parts we really, really need. And then we can have, you know, the sort of brokers and things in the middle. And, and honestly, with a lot of brokers, and I see this with so many students right now, so many students that graduated three years ago, went and worked for a freight forward or a broker, Rates just falling out of the sky. The easiest job in the world. They're all making great conditions. And now they've had two pretty bad years at work. And they're all calling me saying, hey, can you 
can you help me find another job? <laughs> now, they're all going to come back to grad school. Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the, the leading. Yeah, uh, you know, instead of to go to grad school is is are you working um, in a in a terrible a terrible time? You know, I went back to grad school in '09, so I was certainly part of that statistic. Yep. Yep. So so it's funny because you look at the carriers and the brokers and the barriers to entry, barriers to exit. We always talk about truckload carriers, owner operators, very low barriers to entry and exit. Yep. Brokers. It's a phone. You need yep. a phone and probably a connection to DAT, to a load board, something mm-hmm. like that. The barrier to entry and exit is so low there that uh, there there is, I think we've seen about 10,000 new brokers come in in the last four years. And so now we're seeing a, a decline now. I just saw some numbers recently. But do you wonder how far it's going to go? Well, I think we'll get back to whatever the equilibrium is. I mean, I, I look yeah. at that brokers as almost like an old gold rush, you know, like like 1849 all these people going out to California um, and like, oh, I'm going to, I would strike it rich. And then, you know, I mean, all over where I grew up in Nevada, you have all these ghost towns that were big for 10 years and then everybody's out of there. And I think that's what we're seeing right now in the brokers. Interesting. Okay. Another topic, UAW strike. It looks like they finally settled with uh, GM was the last holdout. Mm -hmm. What was the effect during the strike? And what do you think the long-term effect will be? You know, I I think that um, a lot of freight got pushed forward ahead of the strike because people sort of saw it coming. Um, and so I don't think we saw too much slow down on, on production. I do think, of course, there is some some truckload stuff that probably was slowed down because we weren't moving things around. Uh, I think the UAW strike being over is great. Um, obviously, there's going to be some costs baked in yeah. uh, with with some of what's happening with with the, the you know car sales or things like that. But I don't think it's going to be the level that really hurts the economy too much. Um, and to me, the strike being over is only going to be a positive. And I would think one of the things that's going to help push us back towards that freight inversion over the next 12 months is having a robust sector, especially with you know the, the new USMCA rules really starting to take effect. I mean, th- those have been in effect now for a few years, and you're really seeing more and more production base come back. I mean, look at everything that's happening with battery plants right now. Hmm. And all the co-productions between the automakers and battery uh, companies and and a certain percent of it has to be made in North America now if you want it to qualify for USMCA. So I think we're going to continue to see, we, we've seen kind of this, one of the, the big drivers of supply chain has actually been, uh, especially last summer when things were slow everywhere else, construction of, of you know, manufacturing base inspired by the CHIPS Act and the Fight Inflation Now Act, all that stuff. And so- I think the UAW coming back online is going to be good for the supply chain industry. But, but you know, I, I would caution people, it's not going to be a panacea. The same way UAW coming offline didn't make a huge, huge effect, it's not going to be a huge effect now going the other way. I mean, it's not 1960. It's, it, GM right. is, I, I, I looked just the other day because we had a, a student from GM come back to speak to class. I was like, oh, I'm going to say, see a Fortune 10. For, GM is 50 right now on the Fortune 500. You know, it's, the days when they were number one is is kind of over. And so it's important and it's good that the strike's over, but it's not going to be the kind of big impact it might have been 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll see how that affects. And the whole EV translation, uh, that's a tricky thing because I know most yep. companies are still losing money on all the EVs they make. And mm-hmm. so it's an interesting conversion. Well, maybe that's a topic for a conversation on another day. Yeah, well, and if you look a lot, a lot of the electric and self-driving trucking companies are not doing great. <laughs> no, they month. are not. They are not. But the EVs, though, for trucks, because of uh, my the last episode, I had Jim Filter on from Schneider talking about EVs for drayage in California. It's already there. And oh yeah. So we'll see as it goes for long haul middle mile. We'll see if that changes. But Zach, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always it's always fun, and it always goes by way faster than I think it should, actually. Yeah, yeah. hopefully we don't, we don't have to cut too much out. I don't think we said anything bad. No, yeah, I tried to really clean up the language. I know last time <laughs> you, you had to cut about half of my stuff out, so I, I appreciate it. Try to be on my best behavior. There we go. All right, stay tuned, everyone, for the Truckload Market Update. Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for November 16th, 2023. I'll talk about the market changes in the last two weeks. So for dry van, 
we're looking that active rates are up about 1.3%. Spot rates rose by just under 2%. And replacement rates are negative 3%. Temp control, its active rates dropped 1.1%. Spot rates dropped by 3%. Replacement rates are about 2.5% down. Intermodal, active rates are up 1%. Spot rates are down 8%. And the replacement rates are at plus 0.7%. And finally, flatbed, Active rates are up a half a percent, spot rates are up two and a half percent, and we see replacement rates negative six percent. The big news, I think, is fuel. It dropped again at 16 cents in the last two weeks. It's not quite where it was last spring, but it's over a dollar lower than it was a year ago. So hopefully that'll continue. We'll see if what's happening in the Middle East, it will affect prices in fuel. Right now, it seems to be working in a positive direction. The other thing is the gap. The gap has closed a little bit between spot and contract rates. Spot is still below contract for both dry ban and temp control. It's still an inverted market, but it's closing. It's in the mid 20 cents per gallon now. So that's that's a, a sign that the market, again, is stabilizing. Not sure whether it's going to flip, but we see that starting to happen. Also, the replacement rates are continuing to drop and get closer to zero to parity. Uh, they're not the double digits they were, say, two, three months ago. So all of this is kind of setting the signs or indicators that the market is stabilizing, maybe not flipping, maybe not reverting, but it's stabilizing out and we can expect for the cycle to start continuing, whether that happens in the second half of 24 or the second quarter of 24, we'll see. But that concludes this week's Truckload Market Update. Thanks. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Freight Find. The Freight Find podcast is hosted by myself, Chris Kaplis and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to The Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on The Freight Find or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.caplis at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at the Freight Vine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new.